This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Johnny McGonigal. Johnny McGonigal, Bob Flounders, Blue White Breakdown. It's a Wednesday. Uh, it's cold again, people. It got about 10 degrees colder. Um, but we're talking to you guys. We're recording this on a Wednesday, Johnny, because Tuesday um, there was a Penn State uh, media availability. Uh, James Franklin uh, talked to us for the first time, I think, since their bowl loss uh, for a good half hour. The new uh, special teams defensive coordinator, or, uh, Justin Lustig, talked to us. I don't know about you, Johnny, but it just seems like I know there isn't a lot to talk about for the new guy, but there's like a rich tradition of special teams DCs not exactly being, they seem really, I don't know if they get interviewed anywhere else, but it just seems like they're they're in a hurry to get on to the next question and they don't really want to go into any detail on anything. But uh, I was happy to talk to him. I know you were as well. Uh, and James, I thought, had some interesting things to say, um, both in-house and big picture about college football and kind of where it's headed. So... I'll start with you. Uh, what what were your a couple of your main takeaways from from what uh, I know? You, I know he he did talk about Julian Fleming, and you you wrote something off that, which everyone wants to talk about. But what what, what were kind of your main takeaways from getting about thirty minutes with James? Yeah, but I think the main takeaway is, in a sense, kind of a real hey, let's catch up to speed with him uh, in terms of what's going on in this program over the last you know, two months, uh, because we haven't spoken to him since after the Peach Bowl. I mean, it's been that long. And you look at, you know, the, the four scholarship transfers they brought in, obviously new spe- special teams coordinator as well, and Justin Lustig. You've got you know, a handful of players left. You're now entering a spring camp where you would expect more guys to go out the door when the portal reopens again in April. Your winter workouts are going on you know, full-fledged, full-bore into 2024 prep. And the last time we talked to him, it was still in a reflective tone, in a sense, on the 2023 season. So uh, those guys have been recruiting their tails off, you know, him and his staff, you know, going all throughout the country, hosting top prospects over the last, you know, uh, over the last month, really in January. A lot has changed. And so I think it was just catching up with him and, and there were plenty of questions. But for me, I think the transfers were like, were the top, um, the top thing to talk to him about because we hadn't talked to him since Julian Fleming, you know, committed and enrolled and AJ Harris, Jalen Kimber, Nolan Rucci. Uh, and so I think that's kind of the, the main takeaway for me at least, Bob. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he talked a little bit about Julian Fleming. And he talked a little bit about Nolan Rucci. Uh, let's, let's just start with, uh, I thought he was, as, as, he was, as, he's like expansive about those two guys. He, I think that's because they, they recruited them. He knows them better. You know, the guys that came up from the SEC, the two corners, I think there's, he's still kind of getting to know them. Um, they, they both could really help the team. Why don't we just start with, with Fleming and Rucci, and then I want to circle back to um, a question that Neil Rudell asked him that James didn't really answer, but I think we can answer it. But let's start, uh, let's start first with Julian Fleming, five-star, Southern Columbia, Penn State. I thought it would I, – I was – you know, so he went to Ohio State. James admitted they they thought they had him. 
He, he said it yesterday. Didn't go to Penn State. Um, played in a very deep room. Had, had some moments at Ohio State, but I bet you if you really asked Julian, I don't think it was the career he wanted to have at Ohio State. He's got a. He's not going to have a better opportunity to kind of, to kind of have a big year than he's going to have. I think at Penn State, given given the circumstances. But I just thought James was was pretty. He had he had some interesting things to say about maybe what Julian can do in one year at Penn State. Yeah, Bob. It was interesting to hear James talk, and it's not like he really dove into the nitty gritty of the recruitment and like where it turned and all that out of you know, for Julian Fleming out of high school in Southern Columbia when he, where he was a five-star number one player in Pennsylvania in the 2020 recruiting class, one of the top prospects in the country. It's not like he said, oh yeah, this is where it turned or this blah, blah, blah. Like that's not James, but at the same time for him to even acknowledge that, hey, it was a long and lengthy and extensive recruiting process with Julian that we thought he was coming. We thought a, rec- a commitment was coming. You know, it turns out they lose him to Ohio State, and now he's back with Penn State. Something that James really harped on uh, yesterday when we spoke to him was with regards to the portal, you know, when they can, like they would prefer uh, to target guys. Obviously, they have to be talented enough to come and play at Penn State and make an impact, but uh, he would prefer that they be players that they recruited on the front end, that they recruited out of high school. And Julian was certainly one of those guys. I mean, you know, he visited Penn State a bunch during his recruiting process, arguably the top prospect for Penn State uh, in that 2020 class. And yeah, he goes to Ohio State and he's stuck behind Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson, Marvin Harrison Jr., Mecca Abuka. Like these are guys that have already been first rounders. Marvin Harrison's about to be a first rounder. Uh, and now he enters a, a wide receiver room at Penn State that, like, not to denigrate or, you know, put down what Penn State has, but. It's it's not the same situation at all, right? Like Julian steps in to this room, you would think as the number one target. Uh, and and James said that you know throughout the recruiting process, whether that's in high school, whether that's out of the portal, that they never promised playing time or starting jobs or anything. But he did say that you know Julian, you know, since enrolling in early January, uh, has come in with the right attitude. You know, kind of mouth shut, ears open. You know, put the foot on the ground and get working. Uh, and everything that James has heard. Because uh, he's on the road recruiting a bunch, and he's doing a whole lot of other things in January. Uh, but what he's heard from the strength staff, from from Julian's teammates, uh, is that he's making really good strides already. And I think that's a good sign for a wide receiver room. Uh, you know, that, that frankly struggled uh, for most of the year last year. Made some big plays uh, at times, but you know, struggled with route running separation, and and was a part of the reason why Penn State's offense lacked explosiveness. And uh, I think Julian Fleming brings a steadiness, brings a level of professionalism, uh, having played at Ohio State, made the playoff twice with those teams, uh, and and obviously understands the Big Ten. Yeah, and I think you mentioned this. Uh, we we've, This is the first time we talked about Julian. I think you mentioned it before, um, but uh, I had a chance to talk with Nathan Baird last week at Cleveland.com. Um, if you guys haven't seen that podcast, it's about 40 minutes, and – it was there was a lot of it was about Ohio State and kind of where they are with NIL. But I did ask him his impressions, not only of Julian, but of, of Drew Aller, because he saw that he was there, obviously, for that 20 to 12 game in October that really uh, took the wind out of Penn State's um, sales. But what, one of the things he said about Julian is he really likes him. And he he said what you said. It was, you know, he didn't get a lot of opportunities that maybe he thought he would get, but only because of how crowded the room was. But he also said that, 
you know, he he thinks there's definitely another gear to what Julian can do for an offense. And he said it's an uh, it's kind of gets overlooked, but he's a pretty vicious blocker in the running game. And you might not think that means much, but if you looked at Penn State's offense and and you know that running game, and you wonder why maybe it didn't always go so well for Nick Singleton or or Katron Allen. I don't know that the off. I don't know that on the perimeter, the wideouts held up their end of the bargain that much in the running game. And hopefully, um, Julian can kind of set a tone for them because I think it will help not only the wideout room get better, it'll help the running game get better too. So I, I thought I thought that Julian can kind of help this team maybe in a couple different ways if he is healthy. But um, it's he's not going to have a better opportunity to make a splash, Johnny, than maybe in this. In this wideout room, I also thought um, James had some pretty interesting things to say about uh, Nolan Rucci, another five-star uh, Warwick son of Todd Rucci, who played very good player at Penn State offensive lineman. Uh, he went to Wisconsin, followed his brother there. Penn State was in on him pretty pretty deep. Uh, he lasted, I think, three seasons at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's got some good offensive linemen, some good offensive tackles, but um, you know he's here now. Um, James, I thought, had some interesting things to say. It looks like they pay, played pretty close attention to the bowl loss to LSU. He played the whole second half or just about all of it. But I also thought it was telling, Johnny, that you can tell that James and the strength staff and the nutrition staff, are the, he's probably one of their bigger projects because James said he's every bit of 6'8", which means, you know, he, he but he, he if you look at him, he, he carries 300 pounds, but he probably even looks thinner than that. This guy has probably all the technique and all the athleticism in the world. But if you're 6'8", you need to probably play at 320 or 325. Johnny, how big do you think it is to get him with some weight on him, maybe Tony Rojas style, so he can compete for a starting job? Speaking of Tony Rojas, I was able to speak to him yesterday on the phone. Uh, good, con- good uh, quick conversation with Tony. And I actually asked him about you know, putting on that weight that he did this time last year, 29 pounds or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, more on that. I, I think next week, um, early, early next week, I'll have stories on Tony. I uh, was able to talk to Jamel Lyons as well and Javen Williams uh, from Wild Missing. So uh, some, some interesting conversations there and some good stuff from those guys. But yeah, Nolan could put on some pounds. And I guess, that, you look, that's what's going on right now with winter workouts. They're, they're with the staff, uh, you know, in Haluba Hall. They're also, working with the strength staff pretty closely right now ahead of spring camp, which starts in a little less than a month now. Right, Bob? Uh, so that, that'll be big for Nolan. But I think even bigger is the opportunity that he has ahead of himself at this point. Uh, Olu Fashionu at left tackle is off to the NFL, probably going to be a top 10 pick uh, firmly in that first round. Caden Wallace at right tackle, who I thought had his best uh, season in a Penn State u- uniform this past year. You know, coming into his own as an older player is off to the NFL uh, to try his hand at the professional ranks as well. And so you've got two tackle spots uh, open and you've got guys itching and eager uh, to fill those roles. And I, I look at Drew Shelton as probably the heir apparent uh, at left tackle, given his experience starting five games there in Olu's absence in 2022 and filling in nicely when needed uh, in 2023. But over at right tackle, I mean, Nolan, he should come in and and really try to stake a claim there because it's an open spot. You know, Javon Williams, I know, will be in on that. Anthony Donka, who uh, played quite a bit in the Peach Bowl, will be also in on that spot. But 
Nolan has a real opportunity uh, that maybe he didn't have at Wisconsin, and he was their backup left tackle uh, during his time there, and they've got a really good one coming back for the 2024 season, which you know precipitated his uh, decision to enter uh, the transfer portal, come home, and another guy that, like you mentioned, Bob, that Penn State was all over during the high school recruiting process, and uh, they're really happy to bring him in. Yeah, kind of interesting how it works out, Johnny. Um, you know, Penn State in on in on a Penn State legacy who uh, you could he could understand the reasons why he went to Wisconsin, which is has a track record of developing offensive linemen. His brother's there. You can understand that five star guy in state, and he could be battling another five star Penn State you know offensive lineman. If not for the starting job, then for the swing tackle position, which is almost like a third starter uh, at tackle, I think. I think the expectation is that that Nolan, if he's not, you know, he's going to contend for the starting spot, but he he should be one of their top three offensive tackles. But you look at the young depth chart, and those guys are all pretty high profile recruits. So I, nothing's going to be handed to him, and I, I, it's in his best interest. I think if he can just rework his body a little bit. I think that's what that's what that would really help him kind of complement the athleticism that he already has um because he was a obviously a very talented player. So let's see what he let's see what he tips the scales at maybe at the start of August before trying to figure out where he fits uh you know along the Penn State offensive line. Johnny, just to move along with uh with the Tuesday availability you know, so so Neil Rodell, uh, one of my favorites, Neil Rodell asked James at the start about, you know, I'm paraphrasing, like what are either his spring objectives or spring priorities, trying to get him to kind of reveal his hand about, you know, maybe strengths and weaknesses. What's the focus? James didn't really take the bait. He talked, he talked, he talked the talk, but he didn't really reveal a lot of information. So I thought maybe we could pick it up and say, look, if, if it, if it's you and I are in James's uh, shoes, what would you, let's just say right now, you know, in the middle of February, by the way, happy Valentine's Day, Johnny. Happy Valentine's Day. You too, Bob. I won't go any further. I'm not going to go any further, but it is Valentine's Day. Um, if, if we had to come up with two or three like absolute must priorities or must must check the box accomplishments for Penn State to get out of spring, um, where would we? Where would you start? I have some ideas, but where would you start as far as what should James's probably priorities be? You know, I don't want to just paint a broad brush and say the offense, but when you have a new offensive coordinator coming in and Andy Kotelnicki, you're getting that that system installed, and you know, a lot more work will be done over the summer and uh, obviously in August training camp as well ahead of the season, but. You, you're coming off uh, a year with Drew Aller in his first year as the starting quarterback. You've got a new wide receiver in. You're going to be having two new offensive tackles starting for you, uh, a wide receiver room outside of Fleming that uh, you know is a little bit in flux, right? You, you've got a lot of a lot of bodies there, you know, a lot of people trying to emerge. But I just think if you look overall at the offense, it's you're just feeling good about that unit coming out of spring and feeling like you've made progress and feeling that. Uh, not every wart is is taken care of because that is going to take time. That's going to take serious time, and they've only they've only got what fifteen practices in the spring, Bob. So 
not everything is going to be solved and not everything is going to be clean. And there's going to be a lot of time and, and need for one-on-ones where Drew is, is uh, and Drew and Bo and those guys and Jackson are taking, you know, Julian and Keandre Lambert Smith and Harrison Wallace, Amari Evans out and throwing, you know, at lash building in June and July. But I just think, you know, coming into this, you kind of know what you have on defense in a sense where you lose a bunch of talent, but you've got a lot of talent coming back. Uh, I think there are reasonable and understandable and obvious questions on the offensive side of the ball uh, that James will want to see progress uh, by April 12th, 13th, whatever that uh, the, the, the blue white game is escaping me right now. But I think you want to come out uh, of that game and of those practices uh, with a with a, with a level of confidence in what you have on the offensive side of the ball. You know, James last year, the one thing I'm a little wary of when it comes to the wideout position, um, I, I, think, I think James is going to choose his words even more carefully this year, only because, I don't know, I felt like we were sold on uh, the premise that Keandre was a clear-cut number one. And... He was, as the year went, maybe at the start of the year, he had some number one moments, but it was pretty clear midway through the year that for whatever reason, he was not a number one. I don't think he will. I don't know that he can be a number one. Um, and I just was like, he, James never really walked that back. I know I know why he didn't, but I just am a little, I when he whatever he says about the wideout room, I'm going to be taking that with a little bit of a grain of salt because I think after last year, I'll be curious to see what he says about him. He might just paint it in broad strokes and not mention any of them. But my, for me, it is it's 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 really um, it's not the entire offensive and defensive line. For me, it's it's the offensive tackles and it's the defensive ends um, for for similar reasons because both positions graduated some significant significant NFL caliber talent, and you can feel really good about the young players, but. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I mean to make to make any comparisons between any of these young offensive linemen and Olu or any of these defensive ends and Chop or you know or Adisa, you know it's 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 tough to do. But I just think let me put it to you: Do you think you have more you're more, you're more curious about the offensive tackles or the or the Penn State defensive ends as far as where they can get to? You know, I think I'm, I'm really intrigued by both. Uh, and and I'll just talk about the DNs because the thing we talked about the tackles a little bit. It's going to be interesting from a defensive end perspective because this is Deion Barnes' second season now as a D-line coach. And, you know, he played the position for Penn State. He had a career in the NFL and uh, is a phenomenal recruiter and, and by all accounts was very instrumental in the development of Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson as a graduate assistant and analyst on the team before being promoted when John Scott left the position uh, about this time last year. But when you lose guys like Chop and you lose guys like Adisa, uh, two guys that uh, are projected to go within the first two rounds of the NFL draft when it rolls around in April, Chop might be a first rounder, Adisa might be an early second rounder. Those are obvious and clear questions and, and holes to fill. And uh, I love what Denai Dennis Sutton has already shown us. And I think uh, he's primed uh, to be that next like first 10, all big 10 
first or second round guy. I think from a physical standpoint, from a disruption standpoint, I do think he has what it takes to be that. Uh, but he's only one guy. And you look at the other the other defensive end spot, you've got Amin Vanover and Zariah Fisher, who I thought flashed as rotational guys uh, the last couple of years, um, specifically in Amin's case. Uh, you know, dealing with an injury last year that kind of stunted it a little bit. Jamail Lyons, there's a lot of promise around him after his true freshman season. Uh, you know, playing a bit more, burning that red shirt after Chop Robinson missed a couple games uh, after suffering that injury at Ohio State. Um, and then who knows what Smith Vilbert might bring? Uh, you know, after missing the last two seasons, you know, we had that Outback Bowl. Like he's kind of just floating out there as a wild card. So I'm really intrigued to see who of that group outside of Denai Dennis Sutton emerges over the next couple months. Uh, and not everything is going to be decided either in March and April. We know that uh, you know starting jobs are really won in August training camp. I mean, you can put a, a good foot forward and make a good impression in spring, but uh, you know, and with the amount of, that they rotate those guys too, I think a lot of them will play regardless if they're the first or second team. But it seems like a very – it's just a very intriguing spot. Uh, and I'm interested to see how those guys develop uh, and specifically under Dion Barnes uh, now in his second season as a D-line coach. Yeah, um, I, I do agree with you. I think Deny, if anyone was going to make a, a gigantic jump, like that, that guy certainly has the talent to do it. Entering entering his third year, I don't. I think his first year he was an August enrollee. I don't. So it's really only his second winter conditioning, I believe. I did my math there. So I'm not saying that set him back because he already he looked as a true freshman, like he could almost start in the NFL. But I, I'm curious to see him when you talk about the offensive tackles. Um, you know, we, we've seen a lot of Drew Shelton. I think that he is. I'd be surprised if he's not a starter. I don't. I don't know that. I think he's done enough. I'm I'm actually more curious. I think as much as cu- as curious Johnny as I am about Javen Williams, and I I think I've heard nothing. Every person I've talked to who watched him play in high school or saw him on the practice field at Penn State, you know, and had had maybe a, a bigger opportunity to look at him, says the guy. It's only a question. It's only a matter of time for when he. He ascends to be a prominent player, but I I feel like I'm more I'm more uh, curious about Nolan, and I want to see if Nolan can maybe uh, maybe get a little bit more physical, uh, maybe add some weight. I'm very curious about him. But Donko is the other guy. I just remember being at the Peach Bowl, and I I think we both figured that Caden Wallace probably wasn't going to play the whole game. But I was I was thinking all along I, I I did not have I did not know that it would be Anthony uh, to play right tackle and then to play that he to play that the way that he did that that game I mean I was I was really impressed with him and the last time I was that impressed was when Rasheed Walker couldn't play in the Outback Bowl and this three star kid named Olu Fashano got his first start at left tackle. And I'm like, he looks really comfortable there. Like they they didn't score a lot that day, but it wasn't really Olu's fault. They had they had a number of different issues against that uh, that Arkansas team. So I, I I'm beginning to wonder if maybe uh, Donko is a guy going into spring that could really really elevate his status with a strong off season because that to me that to me was very intriguing. Yeah, definitely, and. 
you know, you talk about a transfer being in on the mix for starting time and Nolan Rucci. We talked about Julian Fleming. I think another spot of real intrigue for me, and I know for you as well, is the corners. You know, the last we saw of that group was the Peach Bowl when, you know, I felt for Zion Tracy and Cam Miller, you know, not having Kalen King and Johnny Dixon out there to help uh, against some really experienced and talented old Miss receivers with a quarterback in Jackson Dart that, you know, loves to push the ball downfield. I mean, they were they were put in a tough position. And so, you know, seeing how those two guys bounce back, learn from that experience, uh, Zion played a good bit as a true freshman last year. You know, Cam Miller has been tabbed for a while as maybe that that next man up in the corner room uh, from Terry Smith, the corners coach, talking to him uh, over the last, you know, 12 months, really, Cam has always kind of come up in that conversation. But now you add A.J. Harris, the former five-star in the 23 class, uh, transferring in from Georgia. You didn't play a lot for Georgia, but he has that pedigree that you want. That kind of that. I mean, he was a, one of the top prospects uh, in last year's uh, recruiting class. And Jalen Kimber you know, from Florida, who started for the Gators last year, is a more seasoned player. Actually, started his career at Georgia as well. And both of those guys. Now, I, I go back to what James said yesterday, in that yeah, when we're recruiting guys, you know, whether it's out of the portal or high school, we're not promising spots or playing time. But at the same time, like AJ Harris, who James said did his homework and you know studied Penn State's defense from the first time they talked to him to the second time they talked to him, and Kimber coming from Florida, having started there, you know, Nolan Rucci, Julian Fleming, like these guys don't come to Penn State if they don't have a at least an understanding that they'll have a real opportunity uh, to play early and play right away. And so that corner room, how it develops between Zion and Cam and even Elliot Washington in the mix. Uh, Aldavian Collins, don't forget about him, the transfer from uh, Mississippi State. Uh, and then the new guys in A.J. Harris and Jalen Kimber, uh, who come in with a lot of pedigree and, and an understanding that there's playing time to be won here in a defense that at least over the last few years with Manny Diaz, a couple years of Manny Diaz, uh, has relied on man coverage and put their corners on an island and trusted those guys so much. Intrigued to see if it's the same or a little bit different with Tom Allen. But that corner room is just one to watch. And, uh, you know, it's tough to tell sometimes in spring, like how offensive linemen are progressing. Uh, but when we get to watch the blue white game and the snippets of practice, if there's one-on-ones, like you can tell who is standing out and who's not at both wide receiver and corner. Uh, and so those are two spots that I know I'll be keeping close eye on. I know you will as well. And uh, everyone who, who follows and cares about this team. This is the blue white breakdown. All right, Johnny, a couple minutes left here on this Blue White Breakdown uh, podcast. I want to do a little Johnny McGonigal combo platter because I know two things. I know you love yourself some NFL scouting combine, as as do I. And I know you have been very hard at work um, in the last few days um, chatting with Dane Brugler of The Athletic about – Penn State's many NFL draft prospect prospects this year and what he thinks of them. And I think it's been it's been great stuff. I know you've already written some things on Penn Live. I think you have some more stuff planned on Penn Live. But let's try, Johnny, and tie those two together here in the last couple of minutes. Um, Ten Penn State players uh, invites to the scouting combine in Indianapolis. That is a high number. I have to think that's the most that. Uh, that have that have gotten, I think it's got to be the most or tied for the most that have gone during the Franklin era. 
um, that dates back to, you know, it would have been the 2015 combine, but 10, 10 prospects, Johnny, I think there's a chance that all of them, all of them have a chance to get drafted, which would be phenomenal. Most of them will get drafted. The question is where, but 10, 10 players, we got three corners, Daquan Hardy, Kalen King, Johnny Dixon. We got Curtis Jacobs, the linebacker, Olu and, uh, <laughs> Olu and Caden Wallace. You already mentioned the offensive tackles. Hunter Norzad, good for him at center. Theo Johnson at tight end. Uh, the two, t- the two defensive ends, Chop and Adisa. I think that's all. I think that might be 10. Uh, if I missed one, please jump in, Johnny. But just your thoughts on the class itself and maybe a couple of things for the people that have not had a chance to read your stories on Penn Live, they please go back and read them. Um, but what jump, you know, the, the ones that have ran, ran, Johnny, what jumped out the most to you um, with your with your conversations with Dane? Yeah, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, you know, it, it was a, gr- a great conversation with Dane Brugler uh, of the Athletic, their their lead NFL uh, draft expert. Uh, I mean, he evaluates every player who could get drafted, and he comes out with his his massive guide before the draft called, called the Beast, uh, which you know is worth checking out. It, it's incredible uh, the work that he does and. He's gracious with his time, really appreciate it, and, and gave me some really good stuff. And yeah, stories already published on Olu, Chop, and I believe Kalen. And then we've got uh, Adisa, Theo, and actually a story on Tyler Warren as well coming out. Tyler Warren is not in this draft class, but Dane thought that he is an NFL player right now. Uh, and, and he actually called it a bummer that Tyler didn't leave, not because he's against guys coming back to school, but because in a maybe below average tight end class, he was really interested in uh, looking forward to evaluating him further. But uh, what kind of stood out from the conversations with Dane and some really good tidbits on all those guys. So go back and read those if you haven't and continue to look for those to come out uh, through the weekend. But I, I just think you look at 10 guys going to the combine and Penn State has a chance to have four in the, in the first two rounds. Uh, Olu, like I mentioned, is going to be a first rounder. Chop Robinson, I think, is a first round talent, a little bit of a polarizing prospect, depending on who you ask. Uh, some people think he's a late second guy. Some people think he's a mid first guy. I think that'll be a team fit situation, but an opportunity for him to go in the first round. Adisa uh, is just a rock solid prospect, a guy who can step in right away and play. Uh, and then Theo Johnson, I think, really did um, really did a lot of good for himself at the Senior Bowl. Uh, was Dane's winner at the tight end position among the tight ends at the Senior Bowl. And you look at Brock Bowers from Georgia, uh, Jatavian Sanders from Texas. Those are the top two tight ends at this point. You know, Brock is a top 10 to 15 guy, and Sanders is a fringe first rounder. But aside from those two, I, the tight end position is pretty wide open, and Dane actually has Theo as his third tight end uh, or fourth tight end off the top of my head. I can't, can't quite remember. But still, yeah, he's his third, yeah. He is in that second and third round conversation. And so there's a chance that, you know, you have, you're well represented at the combine. You could have four guys drafted in the first two rounds. I mean, that, that's really impressive stuff. And I know some Penn State fans might look at that and say, oh, why didn't we do more with that talent? Um, that's a question for another day. Maybe we've already kind of addressed that uh, in the past after the Ohio State Michigan games. But alas, this is a great draft class for Penn State. And you know, when it comes to the recruiting side of it and, and all that with James Franklin and his staff, it's something that, that they'll be able to point to, that we're continuously uh, putting guys in the NFL and not only, you know, sixth, seventh rounders, but 
you know, guys who are making some serious money in the first, second, third rounds. Yeah. And I think I texted you this a couple of days ago. Um, it speaks to it speaks to James and his staff's recruiting. But the guys that I, you know, you know, you know, objectively just just watching them and what they've done, the guys that I was the happiest for were Hunter Norzad and Daquan Hardy, because I think that also flatters the way that once they get to Penn State, how they develop them, because Daquan Hardy was 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 not was not a, a coveted recruit coming out of Western PA, undersized, but just got better every every year. Even Johnny Dixon, right? Johnny Dixon got when Johnny Dixon arrived as a South Carolina transfer. You know, he had played a lot at South Carolina, but if you look at the progress he made under Terry Smith for three years, gradually, steadily getting better and better, I think it really it's a compliment to James and his staff for what they've done. But I think the most happy for Daquan Hardy because I do think the position he plays. Um, not a lot of people can play it in the slot, the nickel corner. Um, it, it's not easy. It's a tough matchup because of all the things you can do out of the slot. I think he's got a chance to be drafted uh, for sure. And Hunter, you know, Hunter Norzad to play, to, to come from an Ivy League school and start at two different positions on Penn State's much improved offensive line. If you look, I know it, may, it might not be a great, great center class, but, you know, he's probably in the discussion to be one of the one of the five best centers available in this class. I think he had a good East-West Shrine game. The fact that he could play guard is going to help him. I'm happy for those guys. So I really think this is a very unique combine class for Penn State to get that many. And I do, I really do think, Johnny, I would not be surprised if all of them uh, really get drafted. And I, I think really that as much as Penn State fans might moan a little bit about how can we have 10 guys and then, you know, just not really – uh, do much competitively against Michigan or Ohio State. That That is a different conversation, but those guys certainly came a long way at Penn State. Kudos to them. Yeah, definitely. And and I actually, I forgot to leave, I left one guy out of that, you know, possible first two round discussion. That's Kalen King. Uh, and and so Penn State could actually have five guys in, in the first two rounds. And Kalen's a really interesting case, and that's a story that's already up on the website. So if you haven't, go check it out. But uh what Dane said that you know Kalen is kind of tough to talk about because he could be the number 40, 40th pick in the draft. He could be the 80th pick in the draft, and it honestly wouldn't surprise a lot of people, you know, within the NFL draft community. You know, Kalen, we talked about it, I think last week or the week before, that you know, Kalen comes into the 2023 year as a preseason All-American projected first round pick. I think at the time back in August, he was Dane's number eleven overall player. Uh, after having 18 pass breakups in 2022. And and frankly, Kalen just didn't play to that level. I mean, he's still a, a, a good player, and uh, some NFL team is going to be happy to take him where they do. But, you know, Kalen, Kalen's stock has dropped off a little bit. But that's what the combine is for, and that's what pro days are for uh, upcoming. And and even those individual workouts with NFL teams, uh, that Kalen and, and Johnny Dixon, who had to bow out of the senior bowl with a minor injury, and you know, Curtis Jacobs, who maybe is flying under the radar here and has an opportunity, you know, with a good combine with those speed drills and everything too, and it and interviews as well. I think Curtis is going to come across great in interviews. I he was talking to him over the years. He's always really good with his time, uh, very you know, a reflective kid, and uh I think he'll do well in that space as well. So uh, yeah, it's a really good draft class for Penn State, um, especially having an anchor uh, like Olu Fashanu, knowing that you know he's going to go within the top ten to fifteen picks on Thursday night of the NFL draft. 
Good stuff, Johnny. 35 minutes into this bad boy. I think we got to we got to wrap it up, but yeah, keep an eye out on Penn Live for Johnny's stuff on the draft eligible guys in the 2024 class. He's just getting started. I know he's talked to some uh 2023 true freshmen and he's got some stuff on that. I think I might have some stuff on a couple of those guys too. We will not cross swords there, but uh it was good to hear from James if for no other reason, Johnny, that we know that um Hopefully there'll be a couple more availabilities. And then the next thing you know it, it'll be it'll be pro day slash the start of spring practice. The weather will be warmer and we can be talking about. I'm excited to see what Andy Kotelnicki is going to be able to do uh, for this team and Tom Allen to an extent. But yeah, uh, we got a chance to talk to James yesterday and keep keep uh, checking back on Penn Live for some stories on some really talented former Penn State players and also some young players who could really uh, really break out, I think, in 2024. Bob, also, anyone but the Niners. What a game. I, that, that's a that's a I that's a that's an hour pot. I think Dave is still cranked up about it. But yeah. <laughs> what a what a game and uh so much to say about that. I thought Jair Brown with that interception was gonna be, you know, you know, part of 49er uh lore because it looked like there was a chance right then and there that they could seize control of that game but if you give pat mahomes a shot late in the game uh and andy reed and travis kelsey you get what you i mean you deserve what you get right you you, you got to finish them you got to finish the champs when you get a shot they did not and they paid a dear price for it and i hope that any of the degenerate listeners <laughs> who were listening last McCaffrey. week mccaffrey rushing receiving baby best bet all year very nice, Johnny. All right, guys, we'll be back next week with some more uh, with some more Penn State stuff to talk about. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. <laughs>